Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper. There's a great start. And Mick Mid Gay on the extreme outside is about the first out. Jackler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front. Jackler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit to Jackler. This I podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. Anybody who happened to be around the winner's circle on Golden Slipper Day 2000 will remember John Singleton's state of excitement when Belle du Jour scored that miracle win. We can expect a similar reaction on the 17th of October if Libertini happens to win the Everest. Singo races the mare with his old mate Jerry Harvey, who would probably be the more conservative of the two in the event of a win. Libertini proved in the Premier Stakes that she's right up to the task given a dry track. Her five wins have all been on good tracks, her five failures have all been on soft tracks. Singo, Jerry Harvey and trainer Anthony Cummings will be closely watching the weather as the big day draws near. Former Victorian jockey Regan Bayliss has the prize ride on Libertini and is fully aware that an Everest win would consolidate his new career in Sydney. Libertini is striving to become the first mayor to win the Tab Everest. She may well reach the summit as long as the rain stays away. If genetics count for anything at all, Campbell Rewilla had little choice in his career direction as a professional jockey. He's the son of three-time Sydney Premiership winner Nash. He's the nephew of multiple Group 1 winning jockey Brad Rewilla. His grandfather Keith was very successful on the flat and over the jumps. Another uncle Todd Rewilla rode winners before weight caught up. His auntie Stacy rode about 100 winners before swapping the saddle for motherhood. Cam was fortunate to gain an apprenticeship with former successful jockey Logan McGill, a thoroughly experienced horseman who has a big team in work at Mornington. Campbell sneaked across the border into New South Wales to make a low-key debut at Gerildery last September, posting one minor placing from four rides. Just a week later, Cranbourne trainer Cameron Templeton put him on a mare called Girl on a Train at Mowie. The $31 pop swept around the field from well back to win running away and another Rewilla career was up and running. Let's talk to the young man who can be best described as a racing blue blood. Campbell Rewilla joins us on the podcast. Campbell, I'll bet your mother is the only person who calls you Campbell. Definitely when, uh, you know, Definitely when she's not too happy with me, she'll she'll give me a firm Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> Does she? But your dad, uh, I've spoken to your dad several times lately about your career and he calls you instinctively Cam and I think everybody else does. Yes, no, it's just it's, um, it's sort of just what I'm known as now. It's, uh, it's always been Cam for a long time and, um, yeah, I'm uh, – Pretty happy with that. I, I get a bit nervous when I'm called Campbell. I'm, I feel like I'm in trouble. <laughs> Fair enough. Tell me, at what point did you become aware that your dad was a pretty important person in the racing game? I definitely sort of, you know, always always been young. We we're, were going to the top meetings in Victoria and Australia and watching dad obviously perform on the top stage. And we got the, got the gist very early, um, you know, Dad, that the excess uh, success dad's reached, and um, 
look, he's just he's very dedicated. He's a phenomenal person, and he's just been um, an amazing father. <laughs> Despite the influence of your family heritage, I think AFL was your preferred sport very early in life. Is it true you were a member of the Sydney Swans Academy at one stage? Yes, yeah, I've always loved me, loved me Aussie rules. I, um, you know, as a sport I grew up with, obviously being from Melbourne, and besides the racing, and yeah, I, I did, um, I did, I was in the Sydney Swans Academy for probably a couple of years, and it was a phenomenal experience being able to sort of, um, you know, learn off some of the best Swans players and um, coaches of of the past era. Etched in your memory. Is that amazing day at Randwick when your dad won the Queen Elizabeth Stakes on one of his favourites, more joyous? Now, the owner of that mare, John Singleton, had prearranged for you not only to lead her back to the winner's circle, but to actually make a speech at the presentation. That's pretty nerve-wracking stuff for an 11-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we, we love Singer. He's, he's been a big part of, you know, the, the family's lives and, to get that call up, it was. I remember I was a little bit nervous, but I just don't. I don't think being at that age, I sort of realised the, you know, how much um, how much of a stage light it would have been. But I uh, look, I, we had um, you know, big big thrills being able to do it, and especially for Singer, it all just it all just turned out the exact way we um, imagined, and it was an amazing sort of you know amazing day. Nash really loved that mare, didn't he? Speaks about her with great affection. He he does. She was um she was definitely definitely the second wife for a long time for um, next to mum. Um, she was just a you know massive part of dad's life and success, and um, especially for Mister Singleton, he, he's you know been a been a massive um massive part of the family, like I said, and um, yeah. She's just a wonderful man, a wonderful man. She's she's gone on to do great things as a broodmare. You were coming up 14 when the family pulled up stakes and moved to Hong Kong where your dad had landed a pretty lucrative writing contract. Now, you actually attended school from year seven to year 12 in Hong Kong in English-speaking classes, naturally, and you were very happy through that period, you tell me. Oh yes, I, I I did love um love the Hong Kong experience. I I did go to school. I actually ended up finishing there in year ten. I think um I was I was well and truly put into the racing by then, and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. But Hong Kong, I I really loved the experience. I gained a lot of um you know sort of momentum in in my learning with with the racing, and um to have that sort of you know amazing um amazing bunch of horsemen. Horsemanship over over there, you, mm. it's a place to learn for sure. Now, when it comes to track work, few jockeys are more diligent than Nash Rewilla, and he rode an enormous amount of work at Chartin during that stint. You'd go to the track with him before school, and this is when your interest in the whole fabric of racing intensified. Now, Cam, they tell me you would take with you to the track an exercise book, and you would write down anything that caught your attention. What sort of things did you put in that book? Uh, I, I ended up sort of setting out a program which would be 
basically in just key notes where I'd have how a horse has worked, and I just it just started to build into a big, um, you know, a big big seat, which just you could start to see the improvement in horses over time. And it's just amazing over there. The facilities really make it able for you to, you know, keep that record. And, yeah. um, you know, just a, being able to have sort of the confined amount of horses in the same spot really made it easy to sort of start to, you know, build your knowledge on one horse off its track work. And, uh, look, Hong Kong, it was – I. Definitely had more books in in my school back to the track than I did going to school. I think I was that heavily involved in it. I just absolutely loved it, and um, I don't think I missed a day for a very long time. Mm. Now, Cam, I wonder if at that point in your life, training horses might have appealed more than riding them. I definitely, um, you know, I was given great insight into training horses with a lot of the trainers that you know giving me. Advice with it, like um, I think everyone was concerned my weight would become a become an issue fairly fairly quickly. But I oh, look, I, the you know having that connection with the horses is something I've always wanted to have, and you know just it just grew me from riding to following the races, and it all, all just clicked into one that that's this is what I want to do for you know the best part of my career. And look, I, I would never would never change what I'm doing now for anything else. It's um. I'm living the dream and, um, you know, it's uh, I, I just couldn't be more happy. Mm. You, you had a couple of very good friends among the Hong Kong trainers and you spoke frequently with them. John Size was one and Tony Cruz was the other. Yeah, so they gave me fantastic insight into, you know, a little bit of how they, um, you know, how they like to sort of run the show over there and, Look, just just having that sort of um, you know support group around you. Just I was obviously just a young kid back then, just doing my best to learn as much as possible. And um, you know they really gave me a lot, a lot of their time and effort, and um, you know plenty of uh, plenty of help just to get me uh, on the right path. And they, they did a fantastic job, Mister Size, especially he he really um I'm sure he could have. You know, just tell me to bugger off a lot. I was probably like an annoying fly on his shoulder, but um, yeah. <laughs> he, he was fantastic and just a just a great um, group of group of trainers over there. And um, they really gave me all the time possible, which I couldn't be more thankful for. Well, John Size is an institution over there, isn't he? I don't think he'll ever come home. <laughs> no, and I, I wouldn't see any reason to. He he, he really has got um, Hong Kong worked out to an absolute T. He's and he's just a phenomenal person as well. Like you, you couldn't meet a more humble man. He, you know, he really is. Um, he really is just doing, you know, an amazing job with his career in Hong Kong. And once you get that momentum there, it's very hard to very hard to stop once you get going. And he's, you know, he's just done a, a fantastic job. You had another good mate there among the leading Hong Kong jockeys, and you found him to be a very warm a very friendly and a very humble person. And I'm talking about Joey Marrera. You've got great regard for one of the world's best jockeys. He's just phenomenal in every aspect of life. He's obviously had a very tough upbringing and it just hasn't changed him as a person. He's just, he's always just so humble to everyone and just gives all his time for whatever, for whatever thing you need. Like he's, um, it's just amazing how how he does it on the racetrack and um and who he is off the track. You just couldn't um 
you couldn't find a person like him. He's he's definitely one one in a kind. Like most Australian jockeys, Dad found it pretty tough going early days in Hong Kong and his style got him a nickname among the locals early in the piece, which he found pretty hard to shake. Now, the locals called him, was it Chow Fun? Chow Fun, yes. What does that mean? It means fried rice, which which was the reason they, they called him fried rice was because they, they believe he looked like a, a traditional chef um, with a wok cooking up fried rice, how they, how they <laughs> flick it in the pan. And um, oh, look, I'm sure Dad... Dad would say it himself. He's been called plenty of worse things, so I think yeah. our phones stuck with him, and he was pretty happy with it. So you're talking about Dad's arm action when he's riding a horse out? Just the vigor, yep. yeah, 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 definitely the arms and the and the vigor. He um, he picked that up, picked up that nickname fairly early, and I think um, yeah. I think by the time it got you know to later on in Hong Kong, I think everyone knew him as Chow Fun. It was it was never Nashua Willa. Yeah, he was never offended by it, was he? No, he loved it. He loved it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Nash is an old-fashioned jockey, Cam, and by that I mean he'd rather be offered a ride than chase one. Now, that doesn't work anymore, as you know. If uh, if, <laughs> if you're not, you know, two steps ahead, you just get left in the dust these days and managers do the work for most jockeys. So you set about drumming up some business for your dad in Hong Kong and to a degree it worked what did you do? How'd you go about it? Wow, just watching a lot of the other jockeys how they operate in Hong Kong was something Dad just lacked because sort of coming from Sydney, he sort of was obviously he was champion jockey. He was able to he was never happened to really chase the rides unless it was a Group One ride, and mm. for that he he picked them up pretty pretty quickly. But in Hong Kong, it sort of you you go over there. You know, like an opponent, really, you really got to make your own luck. And for Dad, he just, he's always sort of, um, you know, let his actions do the talking. But at the stage of Hong Kong, you just, you really got to, you know, um, zone into, mm. zone in, yeah, exactly, and zone into doing your best to give yourself every opportunity to get on the rides. And, um, you know, Dad, Dad went over there very quiet and he was riding, riding work for a lot of the, um, top trainers over there. He was sort of just using him as a track work rider more so. And um, I just said to him, I said, you're going to really sort of pick up your momentum with your with your class fives, your class fours, where you'll just start to, you know, get your momentum. And we really sort of zoned, zoned into focusing on just, you know, speaking to the local trainers a bit more and just building yourself a bit more connection. And and that's sort of what he did. We, you know, obviously just from watching the track work, you could see horses which would, you know, just have not really much of a name come out and gallop real well and maybe drop in class and you you wouldn't have your top jockeys looking at them because they haven't got the form and that's just the horse's mm-hmm. dad said, you know, look, I'd love to ride it. And very early on he just he got on a couple of horses similar to that and mm-hmm. they um they built his – they came out and won at, at sort of an unexpected um, an unexpected go and mm. – from that stage, one one local trainer got, got a win with Dad, and then they all started to follow along with him, and um, and then he sort of got the Chow Fun nickname, and they loved it, and <laughs> he's uh, you know, he just that's how he really got himself going, and trainers like sort of Danny Shum and um, Chris, so they they gave him gave him them opportunities early, which you know really really got him going. Mm. 
You were a member of a riding club during your time in Hong Kong and you actually had a pony there. So you spent a lot of time in the saddle just learning the basics and balance and poise and all of those things that uh, hopefully will come naturally. Yes, yes. And it was always, obviously, I'd look, it was always to be a jockey in the long run, but I was never going to ever start my riding career if I wasn't a horseman. And mm. and I just loved the riding. And, I, and that's why I sort of I began my riding career just off dressage and show jumping and cross country and just all the all the similar things like that. And um, in Hong Kong, it was obviously you were a bit confined to what you could do mm. with your riding, but to what I could do, it was um, it was learned a lot more about, you know, having soft hands and, Things like that, which you don't think of as much as when you're a jockey, but it actually plays a massive role. So, mm. for what I've learned in Hong Kong, it's I feel it has sort of helped me in my later career. Mm. How did your apprenticeship with Logan McGill come about? Well, Logan, um, so I, I didn't really know Logan too well um, before I, before I was just had my apprenticeship with him, but you know, some very respected friends of. The families and and mine they couldn't have suggested Logan, you know, more to more to me and um, mm. like it all sort of began with me. Obviously, I, I hadn't ridden track work at this stage and I just really needed that sort of one on one education and, and that's where Logan was just the perfect person for me. He, he's taught me pretty much everything from being really hands on at that stage. Obviously. Dad couldn't really ride track work at that point as he was suspended, and um, and Logan, he, he just he's been a massive, you know, massive part of my upbringing into racing because he he really has taught me taught me a lot of what what I know with um, you know, the horseman horsemanship side of mm. um, of racing. Well, Logan was a very capable jockey himself, and they tell me he can break in a horse as well as most. He, he can. He's just. He, he's got all every aspect of, of of horsemanship and and racing and and for that you know I really can't um I really can't go wrong as a mentor and a boss. He's mm. he's just really um brought me on wonderfully and yet he's you know for how he can he gets a lot of horses which have sort of been sacked off the bigger stables for that, you know being being too difficult and all and he mm. they'll end up being um. Show dumping ponies after they're finished, mm. after they're finished racing, because it, it really does just bring them back to earth and mm. gets them going. <laughs> I've spoken to several jockeys, Cam, who tell me they rode in a massive number of barrier trials or jump outs, as you call them, there before being allowed to ride in races. Did that apply to you? Yes, it did. Yes, I probably would have would have done close to two hundred jump outs and forty official barrier trials by the time I started. Um, mm. I just, I just didn't, um, you know, rush into things, which, which obviously, you know, was the right thing to do because um, I feel it's brought me on, brought me on more than if I was to rush into things because I would have been a very blank canvas and mm. um, it just it's it's the people around me which have which have done that they've um, they've all been massive supporters. Yeah, you didn't have to wait long for that magical first winner. Girl on a Train was the name of the mayor for Cameron Templeton at Moey. How did you get on that one? Oh, Cam, he, he's Cam Templeton. He's sort of called us, called Logan um, and just said, look, I've got, obviously, she, she's a great apprentice ride. Um, 
this mare and she'll be a great one for Campbell. She probably won't um she won't do too much on the day, but she'll she'll just give him a good experience and and uh, that's how it sort of come come about and um big thank you to Cam. He he obviously gave us a, a good crack early and it's just it was amazing. I had the family there on the day and yeah. and um it was a it was a big big surprise and big thrill. You came from near last, I think, and she swept around them, didn't she? Yeah, she did. She's she was um she just got all the conditions right on the day and um you know, I can I remember Dad was riding somewhere on the day up in Sydney and um mm. he he said to me, he said all the boys in the jockey's room that were all cheering for you and um <laughs> No, it was a very exciting day though. I can't wouldn't forget, won't forget it ever. Yeah. Now, following his Hong Kong suspension, Dad actually kicked off again in Victoria briefly before resettling in Sydney. Now, last October, you and he rode in the same race at Bendigo, which generated a lot of publicity. He ran second and you ran fourth, Cam. That would have been a bit hard to cop. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a tough pill to swallow, but um, <laughs> he... <laughs> It was, it was it was amazing though. Like I can remember, remember driving up, and he he had one in the Bendigo Cup actually, and sort of he we weren't in the same race, and sort of till the the night before he um he, he picked up a ride, and he actually ended up getting his um Bendigo Cup ride. It got scratched, so he came up for the one ride, and yeah. um oh look, it was amazing. It's just um sort of see how Dad operates, and yeah. and um just to be able to be in the gates next to him, it was um you know something I'll never forget. He's um. Big role model, big role model to me. A five-year-old gelding called Brilliant Concept, trained by Matt Williams, is no champion, but he's a very special horse to you. You won a benchmark sixty-four on him at Ballarat, and then came the one you'd been waiting for—a benchmark seventy on the Sandown Lakeside track, and it was your first city win, and you thought you were Nashra Willa. <laughs> Most definitely did. Uh, he, no, it was um, it was a massive thrill. He, the horse had sort of um, obviously gave me that win before, like you mentioned, and Matty Williams. He, I sort of had a little bit of success with him, and to have obviously my first city winner for him, he, it was big, big thrill. But um, it, it was just um, I started riding in town probably a month and a half prior to the win, so I, I was I was really getting sort of desperate to kick off the uh, break the maiden in town and. Um, like just on a horse that I had a bit of success with, it was um, made the day more special. Mm. It was a big, big thrill. Campbell, I'll get you to stand by there for one moment while we clear a commitment on the podcast. Back very shortly. Entries are now open for the 2021 English Select Yearling Sales Series. The series will again comprise five sales. Classic, Premier, Easter, Gold and the Hunter Thoroughbred Breeders Association May Yearling Sale to be held at Riverside in Sydney and Oaklands Junction in Melbourne. Each of the three primary sales, Classic, Premier and Easter, will retain their regular places on the sales calendar. Following its success this year, the Scone sales will be moved permanently to Riverside on May 2nd and May 3rd and will be rebranded the HTBA Yearling Sale. The Gull Sale in Melbourne will be held on May 16th. To discuss the placement of your yearlings, contact a member of the English Bloodstock team. Special guest is Campbell Rewilla. Well, because Logan wants to keep you away from town until your outside claim dries up, 
you've had very few city rides. But like all Victorian apprentices, the one you're sweating on is the first win at Flemington. There's something special about that place. There is definitely, but like I've just, I think that's where I've been lucky with Logan. He just, he really has tried to make sure I just haven't rushed into things. And um, look, it, Flemington, it's um, it'll be a dream come come true the day it um, it comes around. I had my first ride there in an apprentice race, and I ran second. I think it was about forty to one, and just to even have that um, have the experience down the straight, it was uh, just unbelievable and. It's a, it is a shame, obviously, now in COVID times, we, we can't have a crowd there and we sort of lose that little bit of atmosphere. But, um, mm. you know, the to be able to sort of, you know, go there on a day and um, experience it all, it's just unbelievable. It's um, definitely – it definitely holds its spot and um, one of the best tra- race tracks in the world. Cam, you, um, you, you're slowly attracting the attention of a wide range of leading trainers and – I saw you win one recently on the hillside track on Sunday Prey, trained by John Maloney. Yes, yes, Sunday Prey. It, it was a bit of a surprise as well. But uh, John Maloney, he's he's known the family for a long time, and um, uh, look, my, my auntie Stace, she she does a lot of um, a lot of his media work, and look, it's um, just obviously not rushing into things as much. I don't I don't want to just get into the into the pattern of just riding on in town and, and that's it. Like um quite a few apprentices sort of do because once they lose their claim in the provincial it gets tough. But mm. I really just want to focus my next sort of five to you know, four to six months just on just on going through the provincial grade and once I sort of really start to focus on town that I'm I'm hundred percent ready to go and mm. I look it's um it's all going really well at the moment. I'm uh yeah, I'm, my weight's very good and I'm really enjoying it. Mick Price and Michael Kent put you on a handy one recently by the name of Maliseet. You've had two rides for two wins on him, both at Sandown, one on the hillside, one on the lakeside. I hope they chase your services again. Yes, no, they've, they've been a uh, fantastic supporter of mine. Uh, the, you know, uh, the team, the, look, Maliseet was a... Great horse for me. He was a he was a bit of a um, you know had the form there and just sort of come back in the grades a little bit and once he sort of found his best he was able to sort of work through but um, work back up to where he was gave me a you know gave me a great little um, great little portfolio early in town and um, mm. the horse you know the horse was just going fantastic when it was when it was winning so look the you know Mick Price and uh, Mick Kent Junior team they're fantastic. Um, Fantastic team t- down here, and uh, you know to have that bit of support from them, it's um, you know really really makes a big difference. Well, there's no doubt your highlight last season was to be crowned the winner of the 2019-2020 Rising Stars, a point score series conducted over 24 races for apprentice jockeys throughout the season. You ran second on the final day but you had enough points to win comfortably from T.O. Nugent and Lewis German, both good mates. Yes, yes. And funny enough, uh, going on a train, that was an apprentice race there. So it was my first win in, in one of the races and to sort of win the uh, Rising Star Series was, you know, just it was my goal early on once I sort of got them points on the board early. I thought, gee, I really 
want to have a crack at this this year. And mm. look, it was it was it was very exciting. It's big big credit to my manager who really tried to focus in on um, being on some of the best opportunities possible in the race. And um, uh, look, only stays one at one year, and I think she yeah. was the only Rebella beforehand. And um, yeah, we've now um, we're now starting to get a little. Yeah. A little family thing running there as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wasn't that an enormous coincidence? Ten years ago, in fact, Stacey Rewilla won the Rising Stars and you uh, history repeated itself a decade later. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a great little story. How frequent is your communication with Dad? He's stuck in Sydney and you're in Melbourne. He obviously can't watch every race because he's often riding at the same time. He must watch a million replays, does he? He does. He does. No, Dad. It's it's obviously very very tough at the moment with um, the way the way that the economy is running at the moment and not being able to spend, see or sort of um, obviously yeah see Dad for probably the best of nearly nearly ten months now. And um, mm. oh look, we keep in contact close to every day, every second day. We're always um, always chatting before races usually, and um, you know, the day we think we're going to have and how that day goes. And, um, oh, look, he's a massive help. He sort of, he, he's not on my back all the time, but if you notice something, I've either done well or need to, need to work on his, um, you know, he's quick to give me advice about it. And for that, I can't thank him enough. You know, obviously mm. he's been there and done that. And, um, you know, for him to, to help me progress, it's, um, it's a big, big aspect of, um, my, my, my progress. He's, um, you know, he's a phenomenal dad and um, he's really he's really doing a good job up there by himself. Now, what about your uncle Brad Rewilla, who's a multiple Group 1 winning jockey? I imagine you and Brad would often be at the same meeting. Yes, yep. No, uncle Brad, he's, um, he's, he's great as well. He loves his footy. Um, you know, we hear about that pretty often, how the Tigers are going. Um, but, yeah, uncle Brad, he's... Um, you know, he, he's family's family. We always stick together and, um, you know, he, he's been a massive help for me down here. I think as well just with um, on weight-wise, he's obviously he's, he's had enough troubles with that and um, he's given me very helpful advice to, to sort of keep on top of that early, which, he, you know, some of the mistakes he's made or what's helped him and um, Uncle Brad and the family, they're, um, they're just fantastic, very, very fantastic. Are you conscious of being Nash's son? or Brad's nephew, or are you focused on being Cam Rewilla? Do you feel weighed down by expectation, or are you able to put that out of your mind? Um, I'm, I'm very happy to put that out of my mind. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. People are entitled to their opinion, and, um, no, look, I, I'm, I'm more than happy to, um, you know, just keep doing things the way, I'm, the way I'm doing them. I'm in no rush to try to live up to any expectation at all. I've I've got my own sort of dreams and, um, you know, I, I'm uh, I'm very happy to have, you know, um, the family support and, um, if, you know, people, people obviously I'm, I've been Nash's son for a very long time so it's um, yeah, exactly. it's nothing new to me. <laughs> How does the son of Nash Rewilla develop his own individual style? I mean, he is famously strong, famously vigorous and very aggressive as a race rider. Has that influenced you or are you building your own style and continuing to tweak that style? I'm continuing to tweak its styles, yet I, I, I just love that 
for, you know, that real vigorous old school Australian style. Um, similar to Dad's. Um, Dad and I were very, very close in sort of um, what our body's like and I think that sort of um, relates a little bit and I, I always sort of grew up. I loved um, Darren Beadman, mm-hmm. just the way he'd, he'd – sort of get back in the saddle and just be strong hands and heels, you know. And, um, look, Dad, Dad's been fantastic. He's he's helped me a lot, but it's taken it's taken probably 200 race rides for me to start developing a style, and I'm mm-hmm. still still doing that now. But, um, oh, look, I, I just sort of want to be vigorous at the same time, kind, but um, I, that's definitely a style I'd, I'd love to have is just that, um, you know, stronger style, which will, I feel gets more out of the horses. Mm. You gave me a short list of jockeys on the phone the other day for whom you have special admiration. Now, we'll leave Uncle Brad out because he's family. But yes. you greatly admire Jamie Mott, for one. Mott, Mott is fantastic. You, um, you know, he's very he – gets he gets a lot out of horses, which, um, you know, whether they're, whether they're young or old horses, he can really pick them up and – get the best out of him he's, he's obviously he's a taller jockey and um he's, he's similar to sort of like a like a dad where they can just get back in the saddle um full foot and and really you know pick up horses when they're when they're running low so i, I really love modi style he's um he's fantastic and he's yeah. been very good to me down here he's sort of he's very frequent at the meetings i'm at and um he he, he probably would have been at me first few jump out so he's seen me progress and um He's been a massive help along the way. Mm, and Jamie's come back from that very serious injury. In fact, it was a double injury. Has been amazing. Hasn't stopped riding winners. No, he, he he's he's a very dedicated person. He's he he's very tall too. And for that, mm. I think a lot of people thought he might struggle coming back just from that injury. And his dedication, second to none. He's um he got himself back and. He's, he, I think he rode maybe 55 on the weekend. He's um, mm. phenomenal how he does it, and um, he's a big, big role model for me down here. He's, mm. um, you mentioned Billy Egan, you mentioned Daniel Stackhouse, and you gave Harry Coffey a big rap to me on the phone. Yes, um, you know Billy's fantastic. He's he's a big help for me in the jockey's room. He's very, um, you know, he's another very strong styled rider who's. Um, Gets a lot out of horses, and Billy's very, very straight to the point, which has been good for me. Um, you know, he he he'll let me know if he he says sort of pull me head in in a race if I'm <laughs> if I'm doing something wrong, and you yeah. know from that senior aspect, it's a it's a big help. Um, mm. And Daniel Stackhouse is very same. He's a very polished rider who's um you know he does a fantastic job. He's flying. He won a group two yesterday, and. Um, mm. Daniel Stackhouse, he's he's obviously he, he's the same as Moddy. He's seen me from my first few jump outs, and he's been a fantastic help on the nutrition side as well. He's very up up to date with it all, and um, mm. he keeps his weight very well. And um, Harry Coffey, he's a fantastic rider. He's very underrated. I just love watching him on the you know on the circuits. I see him a lot of the provincials, and he he'd suit up more than easily in town. Um, but just the way when he, when he's riding with confidence, he's the best jockey in Victoria. He's mm. just fantastic how he can really read a race and he'll just ride everything for luck and get the luck just mm. about 10 out of 10 times. Mm. Well, Cam, you've been turning up all over the place lately. I've seen you at Bairnsdale, Swan Hill, Wangaratta, Donald. 
Warwick Nabil, Moe, Murtoa, Seymour, and God knows where else. Now, you bought yourself a new Mazda 3 not long ago, and you've already piled on big mileage. Yes, I've done about 37,000 Ks in that, and I think um, four and a half months, and I had a suspension in there as well. So mm. it's, um, no, look, we definitely clock up the Ks very quickly in Victoria. I, I really enjoy the driving, though. Like, I, um, you know, it's a bit of a wind down for me. And, um, mm. oh, look, you'd, um, if you don't like the driving, you're in a bit of trouble in Victoria because there is plenty. Yeah, you're in the wrong game. <laughs> exactly. There's um, there's a lot more driving than there is um, than there is riding. Now, prior to buying that Mazda, your mum Sarah drove you all over Victoria. Mums do those things, don't they? Mums, mums, um, you know, she's she's an amazing mother, and um, she's just never ever let me down. She's um, at, at everything in life, she's she's been there for me, and. Um, She's definitely the backbone of Dad and I. And um, oh, look, she she's done a, she's done plenty of K's with me as well. She's um she's never missed a beat. And uh, oh, look, she's my number one supporter. And very very lucky to just have a you know have her support. Now, very lucky. she's become accustomed to your dad riding in races over a long period of years, but she still gets a little apprehensive where you're concerned. Oh, absolutely, but no, mum's. It's she can enjoy races now. I think early doors, mum and dad, they were um, they're a little bit shaky of um, probably some of my manoeuvres. <laughs> but um, no, look, I, I definitely, you know, it's, it's. I think it's just a, it's a mother's reaction to anything. If you if you see a you know, family member in a sport which is where they're at risk, I think it's um, it's definitely the first reaction. But no, look, mum's very um, she just enjoys them now, and she she knows it's what we what we both want to do and love so passionately and look there's risks in everything in life and um if you if you live in if you're doing what you love well then you, you can't go wrong mm. well you're no longer the little kid running around with an exercise book at chart tin track work bending everybody's ear you're now a professional jockey in one of the world's toughest precincts and this is where the rawilla grit and determination will kick in no, exactly. It's um, it is very tough in Victoria, especially at the moment. I think Michael Rod might have um, might have said the other week, like from from when he's come back from um from riding overseas, it, he he's even noticed it's probably the toughest it's ever been. And mm. oh, look, it, it's just um, you know, like I said earlier, it's just the supporters around. They're um, they've been fantastic. And um, oh, look, I'm in I'm in no rush to um to anything. I'm just very happy in the way things are going and. Uh, look, I, I love Victoria. It's um, it's a lovely place, and um, the riding's been fantastic. So it's um, it's all going really well. Mm. Cam, I don't know that you'd be aware that a father-son combination quinelled the Lismore Cup in New South Wales recently, twenty-fourth of September, I think. Uh, Andrew Gibbons' father nosed out his son Dylan after a titanic tussle all the way down the straight. Now, goodness knows when you and Dad will clash in Victoria or New South Wales, but it'll happen. And like Andrew Gibbons, your old man will be doing his best to smack your bum. Yeah, yeah. No, Dad's, um, I can remember in Hong Kong one day we had a running race and um, 
He let he let me be in front the whole way until the last 50 meters, and I was thinking, gee, I'm going good here, and um, no, he he wouldn't let he wouldn't let me get it easy. He went straight past me at the end. Yeah, he can run a bit, can he? <laughs> oh, he can run. No, he's um he's got he's got legs of a um as a 20 year old. <laughs> he can um he's a he's a phenomenal athlete, Dad. Um, but yeah, he's um I think it's a Rewilla family. I think it's just that um. You know that competitiveness. We um, we're not gonna if we're gonna lose, we're gonna make sure there's 110 mm. percent uh, thrown at um, whoever beats us. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a very competitive um sport, and um, you know we're very humble to the winner, but we uh we love winning. <laughs> hey, we might um organise a, a sprint, a jockey sprint for charity uh, up here in the very near future. We might have something on that. Yeah, I'd um. I think he'd he'd definitely be a trusty um he'd be a trusty place chance for sure but um <laughs> he, uh, he won't let you down he'll uh, he'll throw he'll throw everything at it. Mm, great, Cam. Been a delight having you on the podcast. Congratulations on how far you've come in a short time. Seventy five winners in your very first season certainly augurs well for the future. Good luck, mate, and thanks for your time on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Thank <laughs> you.